Hey, True Crimers, it's your host, Jonah B., and welcome to another episode of True Crime-ish, where we try to tell the crimes as true as possible around here. What would you say if I told you that according to a recent study, it is probable that a mother kills a child somewhere in the U.S. once every three days? And what if I took it one step further and said that 72% of these kids are six years old and younger, and that one third of the victims are just babies under one year of age? Okay, y'all, so I've gotten more than a few comments about my voice sounding like like an ASMR podcast thing, and y'all, I had no idea what that meant. At first, I really thought it was something sexual, but after a recent conversation, I found out it apparently is a sound or voice that creates a soothing sensation through your body, like firewood crackling or a gentle touch that sends tingles down your spine. And you know, I will take that as a compliment, but y'all, I am not trying to put y'all to sleep. I need y'all to be up and actively paying attention. And on that note, I have a little update for y'all. We are taking the podcast to video. Coming soon, you will see us listed on YouTube podcast and you'll be able to see all my insane facial expressions and maybe that will kind of offset the ASMR vibes. But anywho, I'm super excited to bring this aspect. It has been a goal of mine from the beginning and I cannot wait for you guys to tune in. Now, I hope we all had a great Thanksgiving, and if you do not celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoyed your day off at least. Last week's story was very ghastly with the cannibalism and things, but this week's story is even more grim. So grim, my mom, who gets a little preview of each story, even asked, and I quote, I have to wonder if these stories are even true. We are in the year of 2017, which does not sound so long ago, but to me, it feels like eons ago. It was a time when I was caught up with the thoughts of what boy I would allow to break my heart next, a time where I was trying to find the time between being out to the crack of dawn and be up to handle business the next morning. It was a time where I thought I had time to... A time where I thought I had time on top of time to get things together. It was a time where I was my biggest and worst critic. A time that does not sound too different from my life today, actually. But the difference between now and then is that during my 2017 life, I was walking in the rain. And of course, I could feel the rain. But the problem was I thought I was the rain. But now I can so clearly understand that I'm not the rain that I feel. And if a 33-year-old Georgia resident could have found that out a little sooner, lives would have been spared. It is July 16, 2017, just one day before my littlest sister's birthday. 
and the Gwinnett County Police Department receives a phone call from an address on Emory Lane. A woman who identifies herself as Isabel Martinez is calling in, talking about how she had stabbed her kids. But she was speaking in Spanish, so the dispatch was having a hard time understanding her at all. So she went ahead and transferred her to another department. And eventually, officers were dispatched to the address that was given. Once the officers arrived, they were let in by Isabel, who was bleeding herself from stab wounds, and they began to check the house from room to room. Once they got to Isabel in her husband's Martin Romero's bedroom, the officers stopped in their tracks for a brief moment. What they saw was a man and four children piled next to one another on the bed, all severely stabbed from what the officers could see. There was a Bible laying on top of the man's body and another Bible laying next to the kids. The police began to check for any signs of life from the victims and was able to locate a pulse from one of the kids. She was immediately airlifted to the nearest hospital and would undergo many surgeries to treat her life-threatening stab wounds. 33-year-old Martin Romero, 10-year-old Isabella Martinez, 7-year-old Dakota Romero, 4-year-old Dylan Romero, and 2-year-old Axel Romero were all pronounced dead on the scene. Outside of all the five bodies being piled on the bed, the house seemed to be in complete order. There were no signs of a struggle, no indications of forced entry. So once the police finished collecting evidence around the home, the mother and the wife of the victims was put in cuffs, arrested, and taken down to the station. Once, in, once Isabel was taken down to the station, the story from the original 911 dispatch call started to change. Isabel made a lot of I statements on the phone. I stabbed my kids. I stabbed my husband. I was saving them from evil. But once in the interrogation room, Isabel's stories changed. She began to tell the officers how a family friend had harmed her family. Apparently, at some point during the wee hours of the morning, a friend of her husband's, who Isabel says has complete access to their home, came in while everyone was asleep except for her. And Isabel says the man took advantage of her, knowing that she has not been mentally well since the death of her father. Isabel goes on to say that she knows that the family friend began to stab her children with a black-handled knife that she had never seen before, even though the knife was grabbed from the family kitchen. Once Isabel realized what was happening, she says that she tried to stop him, but he sliced her wrists in her attempt to fight back. She then called the police, but the man vanished shortly after the phone call before the police arrived. And after Isabel told this riveting story that was so drastically different than the 911 call, the officers asked for the name of this family friend. And you would think that, you know, Isabel would have no problem, no quarrels disclosing the name of the person that, you know, annihilated almost her whole family. But, and in fact, she did. She said that the police would find the answers that they needed and 
find the evidence in the home that the family friend had been there that morning. The police soon had to end the interview due to Isabel having a hard time staying in the present mentally. Not sure what that means, but that's kind of a direct quote. The next day after Isabel's arrest and first interrogation, she had her first court hearing. And y'all, I watched a video of her first appearance and you would think that this woman had cracked. I mean, just cracked. She made a true spectacle in the courtroom, smiling at all the cameras, giving them thumbs up, even getting up bowing in prayer position all before getting back up to give the cameras two thumbs up. The inmates waiting their turn to hear from the judge that were sitting next to her could not do anything but stare at Isabel and the judge even had to chime in asking Isabel to stop the antics in front of the camera, letting her know it probably was not in her best interest and not a good look for her. But Isabel just kept on smiling like she was competing in Miss USA. And it was just overall a bizarre sight. And completely off topic, and you guys will see from the pictures that's uploaded on our Insta, which y'all should be already following at True Crime Ish on Instagram. But it's like, I swear every woman would like the little balding hair in the front center of their head. If you can see what I'm saying, they're like legit crazy. I mean, if you just think about the women, you know, with the balding little center and old people do not count. Y'all are excluded from this. But everyone else is legit insane or maybe I am, but. Anywho, with Isabel sticking to her family's friend's intrusion story, the prosecution had no choice but to prepare for trial. Now, this trial was feeling like a slam dunk to the team of the prosecution because they had themselves a star witness and not just any star witness, a survivor, a daughter of Isabel and Martin, nine-year-old Diana Romero. Diana, who faced life-threatening wounds the morning of July 6, 2017, underwent multiple surgeries. She had a two-week stint in the hospital and is now under the care of her father's brother. During an interview with the Department of Family and Child Services, Diana gave her statement, a statement that truly describes what went down that morning. Diana said that the first child that was stabbed was the youngest boy, Axel. She saw her mom began to stab Axel, but then pitched his nose and covered his mouth to suffocate him. Then she saw her mom go for her sister, Dakota, and brother, Martin Jr., stabbing them both multiple times and then suffocating them as well. Next, her mom turned on Diana, asking for her forgiveness first and letting her know that she was going to rest peacefully with the Lord in the heavens. Isabel began to stab Diana, but did not suffocate her. Instead, she scooped Diana up and took her into the room with Martin Romero, her husband. Isabel began to wake Martin up to show off her work proudly, but Martin did not wake with the correct attitude and the necessary excitement that Isabel wanted. Martin woke, asking Isabel to please, please don't do this and try to free Diana from, him gra from her grabs. But when Martin tried to stop Isabel, she turned on him and began to stab him as well. 
Diana noted how her mom was not crying or screaming during the killings. She was calm, happy even. With this testimony, the prosecution really had everything that they needed. It was just a decision to be made about whether they would seek the death penalty or not. Now let's talk about Isabel a little and get into who she is. And trust me, it will only be a little because of course there is not a ton of information out about her. What I do know is that Isabel came to America from Mexico 12 years prior to the murders illegally. She made her way to Illinois where she had family and I'm not sure if she came over with Martin or when they met exactly. Of course, that information was not revealed in any of the articles. But I also know that Isabel struggled with depression and mood swings most of her life. And after the death of her father that had passed a couple months prior to the murders, her mental health was at an all-time low. Her husband, Martin, who was increasingly concerned about his wife's mental state, got her to a doctor who actually prescribed her some antidepressants. But Isabel was not seeming to get better. Isabel was walking in the rain, feeling the rain, and believing that she was the rain. She could not come from under her depression and realize that this was a condition she was facing, something she could truly overcome. I hate to sound so cliche, but she could have. Not something that she had to accept. And we all know that when you allow yourself to become your mental illness, very seldom does anything good come from it. I do want to mention that Isabel was said to be a devoted, loving mom before her dad's death. And it was said by many that she truly loved her family. Back to Isabel's journey throughout the court system, because of the highness nature of what Isabel did, Gwinnett County District Attorney Danny Porter thought long and hard about going for the death penalty. His decision was made April 16, 2018, during Isabel's second hearing, almost a year after the murders. He explained that Isabel's mental state was why they declined to seek the death penalty. Isabel appeared to the Gwinnett County courtroom for her arraignment and pleaded not guilty to five counts of murder, one count of aggravated assault, and one count of third degree cruelty to children. Once again, You got Isabel and her shenanigans posing for the court photographers just acting strange. About one year later, almost two years after the murders now, Isabel was back in court smiling as usual on April 24, 2019. This time, she was there to change her plea. She pleaded guilty, but mentally ill guilty, to all five counts of murder, one kind of aggravated assault, and one kind of cruelty to children. Reports obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution show Isabel admitted to a Department of Family and Child Services worker that when the family took a beach trip to Savannah, Savannah, Georgia, that is, a few days before the killing, she felt a quote-unquote devil-like spirit was trying to take her children when they were playing in the ocean. She said that all while they were at the beach, the waves attempted to take her and her children away, and she, and I quote, wanted to save them. She said she couldn't explain the spirit, but 
said she was very frustrated. When the caseworker asked Martinez what had happened, she took a deep breath and smiled before beginning to explain. She said she placed all of the bodies in the same room before the police came so everyone could be together. And with the details she gave the worker, she never truly admitted to hurting her family, according to the report. Isabel ultimately admitted in court that she did take the lives of her husband and four kids and attempted to kill her fifth with a knife in the middle of the night. Judge Michael Thorpe sentenced Isabel to life with the possibility of parole on the five counts of murder, 20 years to serve on an aggravated assault charge, and one month to serve on the third-degree child cruelty charge, which are all to be served concurrently. As of 2019, she was being held at an undisclosed mental health facility. Officials there will determine if she is ever fit to enter a general prison population. And according to the authorities, Isabel will be eligible for parole in 30 years, which will be in 2049 at the age of 65 years young. But if she is ever granted a release, She would then have to go into ICE custody for originally being in the country illegally in the first place. By now, y'all know, of course, I have to speak on our victims, the Martinez slash Ramiro family. The family of six had actually just moved to Georgia or to the Georgia area from Illinois a few months before the murders. Not much is known about their time in Illinois or where their origins truly started other than the fact that Isabel was an illegal immigrant from Mexico. When they moved to Loganville, they settled into a mobile home where they seemingly fit into the neighborhood. A 15-year-old Ivan Nava, a neighbor, said he frequently saw Isabel's children playing in the neighborhood. He went on to say how they seemed like happy, normal kids. Jim Hollinsworth, a spokesman at the PATH Project, which is a nonprofit organization that runs an after-school program that the children participated in, said that he didn't know the parents well, but said that their kids quickly adapted to their new surroundings. He described the children as great, happy participants in the program. They just seemed to jump right in. And another neighbor commented, Sylvester Perez Rodriguez said that Isabel was a very good mom. He also said that my daughter is really sad because one of the daughters is a good friend. Others in this tight-knit, largely Latina neighborhood north of Atlanta spoke so highly of Isabel. Both family and neighbors did say that Isabel was depressed in the weeks before she killed her family. We all know that her father had died, but what we did know is that Isabel was not able to attend the funeral in Mexico. Isabel and Martin's family responded completely differently to what happened. Martin's family had lots to say, while Isabel's family, although they read all the hearings and and arrangements, they did not say much at all. Martin's cousin, Griselda Romero, told investigators she heard Isabel say she would bring her father back by any means possible and was waiting for a signal to do his will. 
She said she had promised her children to an evil force. And Martin's niece, Johanna Buccio, said Isabel had made statements about wanting to offer her children to God in exchange for bringing her own father back. His other niece, Edith Romero, told investigators that four days before the murders, she told the family she was going to, quote unquote, put to sleep everyone in the house. And I mean, I am glad that they are stepping forward with this information. But to me, it really feels like they are day late and a dollar short. Like, there's no way I would have allowed my cousins, nieces, nephews, or whatever they are to me to stay in a home when their parents are making said threats. But anywho, as much as I wish that there was even one report on the personal lives of every victim, There wasn't, and I know each one of them were special in their own way. I can imagine Isabella, Dakota, and Diana were three peas in a pod, being girls and being so close in the same age. And of course, Dylan was the odd man out until Axel came, and I can just imagine two boys under five getting into everything. And of course, I would assume that Martin was just like any other dad with a bunch of kids running around. He had good listening ears. I'm also pretty sure that he was a working dad who was a family man at heart. And I can only say pretty sure because I don't know. There was no information released about our victims, which is a sad but norm with our people of color cases. Hundreds attended the memorial service for the family where another statement was read from other relatives. And it said, and I quote, First, we would like to thank you all for the outpouring of support and the continuous prayers that have been given to our family through this unimaginable circumstance. The love and kindness we have received from many has been comfort for us in our time of grief. End quote. My question when something like this happens is where there are any signs. The state child welfare agency actually got a look at the family in early 2015 when a complaint reached the agency that Martin was disciplining the children by hitting them, which I am not all mad about. Plenty of y'all are not disciplining y'all kids and it shows. But anywho, Isabel and Martin acknowledged at the time that they sometimes hit the children with a belt on their behinds, but nothing excessive. They didn't find the house in chaos during unannounced visits. Caseworkers with the State Division of Family and Child Services found that the Martinez home was clean and organized and that the children were quite well behaved. Although there were some concerns about Martinez quote-unquote, protective capacity, they weren't too worried about that. And of course, as we know, Diana Romero survived. But what we don't know is that in March of 2023, where she is now 15 years old, she was credited with a bill that's headed to the governor's desk dealing with parental rights. The bill, which severs the parental rights of a parent who is convicted of murder or manslaughter in the other parent's death, passed after Diana visited the Capitol to tell her story. The bill is unofficially named the Diana Romero Act. And these cases involving innocent children are always the most difficult. 
I don't have any of my own, but my heart honestly goes out to every child out there who is being mistreated or placed in environments that they don't even know what dangers lurk about from their own parents. Your parents who brought you into this world should be the last ones to take you out. I don't have much more to say about that besides mental health is real. It's not some social construct or some line that we use to explain away our bad decision making. It is an intangible entity that we have to take care of, that we must nourish. Just like we supply our bodies with foods to survive, we have to supply our mental being with breaks and positive thoughts, maybe some therapy, journaling, and anything else that does not cause harm to others, explanation point. Let this story be the momentum for us all to say something if we see something and remind us all that we are not the rain that we feel. And on that note, that concludes this week's episode. Thank y'all again for tuning in and make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Even if you did not enjoy this episode, someone else you know might. Until next week, Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay warm. Love y'all. Bye.